Today I'm concluding our series of sermons on the spiritual gifts. As Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, the Holy Spirit provides every Christian with one or more spiritual gift that is to be used for the common good, that is to meet the needs of the church. These spiritual gifts are the manifestations of the Holy Spirit through which God demonstrates His power through individual Christians. Gifts of the Spirit are given to us so that we might be effective in service to others as we play a unique role within the body of Christ, the role that God has planned for us. The promise is that the Spirit will provide us with all we need, so if there is some lack in the church, if there is some service that is not being provided, it is because some of us perhaps have not been willing to apply ourselves, using the gifts that we've been given to serve others. Now, the gifts of the Spirit do not depend on natural talents or aptitudes or developed skills. Though God gave those to us as well, and God will sometimes use those in our spiritual gifts. But the gift of the, of the Spirit is something that God gives for the purpose of building up others in the life of faith. It's the experience of Christians over the year that the Holy Spirit often harnesses one's talents in His service for the purpose the gifts were given. But it takes the Holy Spirit and work within the believer to put the natural gifts or inclinations we have and the supernatural together with power in order to be used in service. Interestingly, there are a number of major characters in the Bible whose calling of God and whose giftedness went contrary to what their natural inclinations or abilities were. You remember that Moses insisted to God that he was a man who stammered. He was not a man who could speak well. And, so, and yet God made him the spokesperson and leader for the, for the Jewish people. We have David, who was a shepherd boy and a musician, who became David the great king. So often God will actually lead us into service using spiritual gifts in ways we would not have expected that our natural inclinations would take us. Now in previous, gifts, uh, previous sermons, we've looked at the gifts of leadership, of service, of compassion, and of discernment. Today I want us to consider the sign gifts. I previously called them miraculous gifts, and I wasn't happy with that title, because all of the gifts are miraculous. They are all supernatural blessings of the Holy Spirit. But sign gifts is one of the ways that these are referred to, because they're, and sometimes they're called the ecstatic gifts, because these gifts include mystical experiences and mystical utterances. To begin, let's go back, and I want to reread the passage that we looked at last week, which is from one of the great chapters about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, and this is verses 7 to 11. Hear now this, which is the word of the Lord. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. Now this passage is the longest passage we have in the New Testament that talks about gifts. There are nine gifts mentioned here that are given by the Holy Spirit. Four of those we talked about last week, which is why I refer to the fact we looked at this last week. Those gifts were knowledge, wisdom, faith, and discernment. But today, we want to look at what are called the sign gifts. 
healing, miracles, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And all of those are also included in this passage. Whenever there is disagreement over spiritual gifts, and there are a lot of disagreements over spiritual gifts, it almost always involves these four sign gifts, healing, miracles, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. There are those who claim that the sign gifts are more important than some of the other gifts, especially the gift of speaking in tongues. Some go so far as to even claim that if a person doesn't have these gifts, and particularly if a person does not speak in tongues, then he or she probably is not really a Christian, or almost certainly is not a Christian. Apparently the church in Corinth dealt with this very issue because Paul addresses it later on in 1 Corinthians 12 when he says this, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable are treated with special modesty. What Paul is saying here that we need each other and we need all of the gifts and that none of them are more important than any others. He also makes it very clear later in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians that we don't all possess all the gifts. Everyone is given at least one. Many people are given more than one gift. But Paul tells us that God brought us together as a body so that we would have the combined benefit of those gifts, that there might be no division among us that we could all share what God has equipped us for, for the concern of everyone. But still, some people focus on the gifts themselves rather than how they can use the gift God has given them to serve others. And in that way, they actually use the gifts to divide people. Some churches, especially charismatic and Pentecostal churches, particularly emphasize speaking in tongues. They do so so much that they teach that every Christian should speak in tongues as evidence of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But here they make a confusion that is not biblical. They confuse the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which every Christian receives when they accept Christ, whether they speak in tongues or not. They confuse baptism of the Holy Spirit with filling of the Holy Spirit, which is when the Holy Spirit makes His presence known by an especially powerful outward expression of one spiritual gift or another. While some churches insist on speaking in tongues, other churches allow the practice of speaking in tongues, but don't encourage it. And some churches actually forbid their members speaking in tongues. One of the things that we're going to do at the end of the service today as you leave the sanctuary is we have a spiritual gifts inventory, a little test that you can take that will help you in identifying, based upon your answers, what gifts you might have. Well, it's, it was very difficult to find one of these because there are many churches that just leave gifts out because they don't like them or they don't believe in them anymore or they, they don't accept them as valid. And speaking in tongues is one of the ones that most often gets left off. Although there is some validity to saying speaking in tongues is not one that you can ask people questions about as easily as some of the others. So, speaking in tongues, what exactly is it? What does it mean to have the gift of tongues or to speak in tongues? It's defined as the special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to speak to God or to receive and communicate a message from God to his people using a divinely appointed utterance or language that they never learned. To be able to speak a language you did not learn and you do not know in order to uh, communicate a message from God. Now the word in Greek that is translated speaking in tongues and that's the also, and it's also the technically uh, theological word for speaking in tongues is glossolalia, 
which is hard enough to say, ironically, glossolalia, and it literally means tongue speech. It means to speak in other languages or other tongues. Now, there's a wide spectrum of belief on the issue of speaking in tongues and other sign gifts beyond just whether or not they ought to be practiced in worship services. There are some who would say that the existence of these sign gifts has ceased, that the purpose of the gifts of the Holy Spirit were completed when the church was planted and established and when the biblical canon was written, when we had the scripture. The doctrine that maintains that the spiritual gifts are not available today is called cessationism. And it means that the gifts ceased when the last apostle John died. However, that doctrine, cessationism, creates some problems for those of us who believe in the New Testament and use it as our guide. The passage cessationists most commonly point to to support their point of view, and by the way, one of the most prominent of my seminary professors was a cessationist, they point to 1 Corinthians 13h, which says prophecies will end, tongues will cease, knowledge will pass away. But a proper understanding of that passage, I believe, clearly points to a different interpretation, that those things will cease when the Lord returns not when the Bible is written. I must say that I find nothing convincing in the argument that cessationists give that the Holy Spirit no longer gives spiritual gifts, including sign gifts to the church. And not only is there not anything in Scripture that says that these are going to end, at least nothing that could be seen as clear, it seems that when there are millions of Christians around the world who experience these gifts every day, then it makes the secessionist viewpoint seem rather elitist and maybe even sort of a colonial attitude. That because white people who speak English do not experience those gifts as much, then perhaps they don't really exist anymore. I think that the perspective which says that the Holy Spirit gifts are not available has been developed primarily as a way to explain why we in the West do not often experience those gifts, or at least more often especially the sign gifts, tongues, interpretation, healing, and miracles. Rather than confess that we might simply lack sufficient faith or to that the problem is that we no longer seek those gifts and you never find anything you're not looking for, it's easier and more reassuring for some people to simply say those gifts don't exist anymore. I believe the problem is with our lack of faith, our lack of seeking God's miraculous work in our lives. We should not try to put God in a box. We have to give him the freedom to use the gifts as he chooses. And yet we must believe that God has promised that he is going to give these gifts to people and that he still does today. Now, back to the consideration of speaking in tongues. Tongues is often associated with intercession, that is prayer for other people, and or faith. But it must be recognized as not necessarily being a sign either of the baptism of the Holy Spirit when somebody becomes a Christian or the singular evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Tongues, like any other gift, is given by God to whom he chooses to be used for the glory and edification of the church. And to say that everyone is given the ability to speak in tongues is not biblical. Paul is very clear about that. 1 Corinthians 13.1 suggests that there are two forms of gifts of tongues, tongues of men and tongues of angels. And there may be that the, the first example we have of speaking in tongues in the New Testament is in Acts 2, the Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. The followers of Jesus spoke in tongues and other people visiting from other parts of the Mediterranean could understand their own language being spoken. This suggests the speaking in the tongues of men. People could understand it. The tongues of angel may be spiritual languages that people don't understand. It is not a language that people speak. But we don't have more information than that. 
We do know that the Apostle Paul tells us that there are very clear guidelines for how we should be using these spiritual gifts. It includes, one, recognizing that the gift of speaking in tongues is not for everyone. Secondly, he tells us that without somebody interpreting the translation, then the practice of the gift of tongues has no value and should not be done in gathering, in church. That it's more important that you speak in your own language in the way that's understandable. In fact, Paul says it's better to speak five words that somebody can understand than 10,000 words in a language no one can understand. He says that no more than two or three are to speak in tongues in any one service, that things are to be done decently and in good order, which has become sort of a slogan for Presbyterians, by the way. He says there should be one speaker and one interpreter at a time. There is not to be any chaos. If there is no interpreter, the person with the gift of tongues should not speak because there must be an interpretation for the sake of the body. And he says the gift of tongues is controllable. This idea that it's an ecstatic outburst that nobody can control. Paul says that the, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the will of the prophets, that you have control over this and that there is not to be chaos. So we have some very specific kinds of instructions as to how this gift is to be practiced. But I believe the reason Paul goes into such detail, including writing to churches like Corinth about this, is because these gifts were intended to continue and should be done correctly. Now the second gift we'll deal with related to speaking in tongues is the interpretation of tongues. Interpretation of tongues can be defined as the the ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to understand and to make known the message that is being communicated when someone else speaks in tongues or when the person themselves speak in tongues if they have both of those gifts. Those people with the gift of interpretation are used to explain the meaning for the sake of the body, which is why it says that if someone is not does not have an interpreter, somebody who has the gift of interpretation of tongues, then they should not be speaking in tongues. As I say, often the interpreter is the one who has actually spoken in tongues, and the interpretation of tongues is closely related in Scripture to the messages of exhorters or prophets. When someone speaks in tongues in a public setting, there must be an interpreter. And again, Paul said better five words we can understand than 10,000 words we can't when you are gathered together. The third gift we would look at as the, in the sign gifts is the gift of healing. This is the, special, the, the special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to serve as human intermediaries through whom God cures illness and restores health. And it's very important that human intermediary things... People are not able to heal. God is able to heal, and he chooses to work through people to do it. Many people attribute the occurrence of supernatural healing to a certain level of faith, and they sometimes talk about faith healing. Those who have this gift must use it knowing that healing occurs only within the limits of God's will. People are healed as God desires it. And miraculous healing, therefore, will not always occur. There are times when God has intentions that we do not understand for why something is not to be healed. You will remember the Apostle Paul prayed to God three times to remove the thorn in his flesh, which we believe probably was very bad eyesight. And yet Paul reports that God said, No, I am not going to heal you of that because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. There are times God says the best thing is for healing not to occur here. Interestingly, gifts of healing, as it occurs in the New Testament, is always plural, almost unique among all the, all the gifts, which suggests that there's more than one way in which God chooses to heal people. It is gifts of healings, is literally what it says. 
God often uses not miraculous events, but science and medicine to bring healing to a person. That's, there are gifted doctors and there are gifted researchers who are providing medicines. And I believe that the use of those things is very possibly why we have plural gifts of healing. That God can work in different ways. I believe God gave us aspirin and antibiotics. Those gifts, those things that people believe they should take credit for, I believe were gifts of God to humanity. Those are one of the ways in which he chooses to heal. Miraculous healing will only occur when it brings the greatest glory to God and effectively grows his church. We do not see either clearly enough or far enough to always understand why a healing may or may not occur. And the fourth of the sign gifts is the gift of miracles. The gift of miracles is often related to the gift of healing because they're obviously very similar. But the gift of miracles is the ability that God gives to certain members of the body to serve, again, as human intermediaries. The miracle workers don't take credit for it. It is from God that God can perform through them powerful acts that seem to set aside the ordinary course of nature. You see, God gave us the laws of nature for a reason so that there was predictability, so that we knew if we planted potatoes, we were not going to get gladiolas, or else we would all starve to death. God has a natural order of things, and it is not to be set aside by our will. People who desire to set aside the natural order of things by magic or by other supernatural means are violating the will of God. There's a reason why we are protected from those laws of nature breaking down. But in events where we ask God to intercede in a special and miraculous way, He can do it. He can perform miracles which are not explicable according to the natural order of things. God can do all things. So the gift of miracles is manifest through supernatural intervention by God in special circumstances where if we just allow the natural course of things, we would not receive, uh, not gain that benefit or achieve that result. <clears throat> but those with the gift of miracles, like those with the gift of healing, must recognize that miracles happen only because God desires it, and it is to his greater glory. It is not for our glory. It is not for the, the benefit or the showmanship of somebody doing miraculous things. Again, healing and miracles are often combined, but one healing focuses entirely upon the well-being of the physical body and mind of a person, and the other can be any aspect of a miraculous event. Now, as I said earlier, spiritual gifts are the manifestations of the Holy Spirit through which God demonstrates his power in and through an individual Christian. And every Christian is given a supernatural gift. Paul is very clear about that. Many people are given more than one. And the amazing thing about these spiritual gifts is that as the Spirit gives gifts to all people who believe in Christ, something strange happens. During the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, one of the great cries was every member a minister. That there was not an exclusive group of people who were ordained priests or monks, that God only worked through them. In fact, actually in the doctrine of the Catholic Church, the church properly are those who are the priests and those in holy orders, and everyone else gets to go along for the ride. The Reformation established that every believer in Jesus Christ is called to ministry, and the astonishing thing that happens when we accept the gifts of the Holy Spirit is that priests, pastors, scholars, theologians, and leaders are no longer the only way in which 
We can experience God's knowledge or God's grace. God can act and speak through anyone who is in Christ. The Spirit gives plain folks the power to give the love and grace of God to each other and to create, or perhaps better, to recognize the sacred here in this world. That's always been true, but the church forgets that. That every one of you, if you are in Christ, has a responsibility to be a minister, to use the gift or gifts God has given you in order to reach out, to touch people, and to represent Jesus here on the earth. Faithful people do this every day, and they do it especially in tough circumstances. Whenever and wherever the true hope of Christ is needed, that it needs to be revealed. The Holy Spirit gives gifts, and the grateful believers accept those gifts and offer them back by using them to serve God's purposes among his people. If you have not recognized your particular gift or gifts given by the Holy Spirit, and that doesn't just mean a skill or a tendency, it means a supernatural gifting, and every one of you has one or more. If you've not recognized that and applied it to the service of the church, two things have happened. One, the church has suffered for it because you were not there to provide what God wanted you and equipped you to give. And secondly, you have suffered for it because you have not received the fulfillment that only comes when we find ourselves in the right place that God has prepared for us and serving in the way he desires. We are all ministers. We are all called to serve. Now, I have for you all a a spiritual gifts inventory test. This is seven pages, and we're going to hand these out to you as you leave the sanctuary. It starts out with two pages that define the different gifts. And again, this does not have on it the sign gifts. It doesn't have speaking in tongues, interpretation, healing, or miracles. Those things are kind of hard to, to figure out by answering questions. You almost have to experience them in order to be able to identify that. But after identifying the rest of the gifts, it then asks 80 questions. And it asks you to to give each of those questions a number score. Five means that this definitely is true for you, that it is highly characteristic of you. Yes, this is what I'm like. This is is what I've found in my own life. Four means it's mostly true, say 75%. Three means it's it's true for me about 50% of the time. Two means it's true for me about 25% of the time. And one means definitely not true for me. It's nothing like what I've experienced. Okay? And so these 80 questions, we ask you using that little 1 to 5 gauge to put the numbers in those 80 questions. And then there is a place further on in this little test where you are asked to put uh, different the numbers from each of those questions. For instance, under leadership, items 6, 16, 27, 43, and 65, and then add them up. And it leads you through all of that. It explains it all to you. And finally, once you have these scores tallied up for all of these gifts, you are to mark them on this chart and turn it into sort of a bar chart. And the ones that are tallest in this bar chart will be the ones that, based upon the questions you answered, seem to indicate what your spiritual gifts are. Now, this is far from perfect. It is, you know, it's it's a, a handy little tool that can help. It is not always accurate. It is not, you know, we more than anything else, we need to be encouraging one another in our gifts. But this will give you a place to start if you've never dealt with the issue of spiritual gifts. It's, it's, there are instructions, you can go through the process, and it'll be fascinating to find out what you actually discover. And then, 
At the end of it, it says that after completing the survey, these are the three gifts that I've discovered from this survey. And you can put the, write those in and then ask yourself, does that seem accurate to me? And ask yourself, are one of those a gift that I don't practice on a regular basis or that I don't use in service to the church? Or is there something there you disagree with? And then it asks the question, have you asked God how you might apply this to the church? Today is the last sermon on this, but we're going to deal with this a little bit next week. So I encourage you to take these, these tools, these inventory questionnaires, take it home, take the quiz, score it yourself, figure out what your gifts are, and then we're going to deal with that some next week. Our goal here is to help you gain satisfaction by using the way in which God has equipped you and serve the larger church by you applying those gifts. And may God be honored in all of that. Amen.